All right, gentlemen. Gotta watch out for when that rush hour traffic. Those old people that have lost their pay. <laughs> hey, NASCAR Nation. I'm Mamba Smith, and welcome back to Mark Mamba and the Mayor Podcast. Joe Gibbs Racing left Pocono with two DQs, and we ain't talking ice cream. We'll peel back the layers on their Pocono penalties and discuss NASCAR's new line in the sand. Cheating has always been a part of our sport, but is it cheating if you don't get caught? Mark took a huge points penalty in 1990, and he'll give us his side of that story. Strap in and hang on. It's Mark Mamba and the Mayor. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's once again that time to buckle up with me and my boys, Mark and Jeff. This is Mark Mamba and the Mayor podcast. Guys, happy to see you again as always. How's the weekend? How's the time off from the show? Man, I tell you what, we got a lot to talk about today. <laughs> oh, really? Had, I I had, yeah, I had a great time. I had a great weekend, last two weekends, but uh, last weekend especially, got to spend some time with my grandkids, and uh, it was uh, it was a great weekend, a lot of great racing. Jeff, you're back. You're back in it full time over there on the NBC broadcast. You, you, how are you feeling after the first couple of weeks? I feel like I never quit full time. I've, I've been to almost every race this week, this year, and uh, yeah, just another one, but it was you know, it was crazy. I had a great time. I was able to work with uh, James Hinchcliffe on Saturday, on Sunday. That was fun. He's a cool dude. Uh, the IndyCar, IndyCar team was there uh, at, at Indies the same time we, that NASCAR was. That was fun. Uh, I wish we did more of that. It was pretty cool for both series to, to, to be able to go walk from one garage to the next and see how different things are and, and how similar things are on top of that. Uh, it was it was a good weekend. We'll get we'll get into Indy here in a minute, but I want to start start with Pocono. Um, like Mark said, not much to talk about Pocono. Just a couple of dinkies. So <laughs> so let's set the stage. Denny Hamlin he took the checkered flag um, at Pocono, and Kyle Busch, his JGR teammate, finished second. Um, it was a great you know Denny's interview and and his daughter being there, like all that was it was so cool to see. And then. Going through tech, NASCAR found some tape in front of um, the wheel well on the nose underneath the, the wrapping of the car. So um, what do you guys think? I, my personal opinion is what, if, whenever guys do something in the garage, it's for a reason. There's no not that's going to be a benefit. Um, maybe it's small. Maybe it's large. But the penalty came down, um, and the wing got pulled away from the 11, and the 18 got DQ'd as well, so the 9 ended up being the winner. But what do you guys think about the penalty and uh, what they did? Well, I think this is going to be a good uh, segment here because, for me, Jeff Jeff is, has a different viewpoint than I do because I'm a fan watching from my home. And I'm you know Jeff is immersed right in the garage. So he is a little bit closer to, you know, to, to that aspect of it. And I understand that NASCAR is uh, trying to prevent any work being done on any of the parts that, that have to be bought. And I'm, I'm okay with that. That's fine. I feel like that, uh, you know, what was done there was for performance, but you're talking about a piece, two pieces of tape, you know, maybe 12 thousandths of an inch thick i feel like personally that the penalty was too severe for the crime i think that uh, a huge fine and and points penalty and that, that kind of thing would have been in order i don't like taking the win away for that that's just not you know i finished watching the tv show and victory lane and the celebration and everything like all the other fans did for me, it was just uh, sort of a letdown to have that happen. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. That to me, that's not downright cheating. Downright cheating is a 400 cubic inch <laughs> engine or uh, super soft tires or all the weight falling out of the car on the pace lap, you know, yeah. all the lead falling out. Uh, you know, I've run second to guys who. Uh, when they went on the scales and got to, to fill their car up with gas, a big paying race, 
they filled their dump cans were full of lead shot. Oh, weird. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's cheating. Uh, so, Jeff, you know, we're going to defer to you a little bit here on this one. So, to me, I like when everyone plays in the sandbox and tries to push it out. But at the same time, if we don't police it, the right way we end up with what we had before where it kind of got out of hand what what's your take is it is it too much or is it well we got to set this precedent now so we don't lose control of it later it's too big of a penalty in the past for sure uh you know what mark's saying is right it, it was placed on there for performance advantage clearly it you know we mark and i have spent enough time in wind tunnels and understand that that area of the car is very sensitive and if you can uh, make that wider and change the shape of that area. It's going to make a difference in downforce. And, you know, that's an advantage if other people aren't doing it. Uh, I agree with Mark, too, that the, you know, it seems like an extremely severe fine when you when you think about, okay, some pieces of tape. When you go back and you think about the integrity of this concept of how you build this car, that's where it changes. Mm -hmm. Because if you allow any team to, man to manipulate a part that has agreed been agreed upon by the owners and NASCAR, uh, if you let anyone do that, then they will then just simply do the math and say, is it worth it? And that's what we saw for years happening is people were willing to take penalties. They didn't want to get caught, but they were willing to get caught uh, because the reward was so great. And so now you've created that you've literally built an entire new car around this premise of if Joe Gibbs Racing has it, then Cody Ware has it. Mm. And you have to take those parts and do the best you can with them. But Cody Ware and Kyle Busch have the same opportunity. And if you don't enforce it at an exceptionally high level, that will go away. Because now it just turns into a game of math. If you're 25th in points and you're like, oh, well, what do we have to lose? You treat that a different way. Uh, so... It's a change. There's no question it's a change. Uh, it's a complete mindset change. It's a culture change uh, from taking a sport where we were to saying, hey, you, if you don't get caught, it wasn't cheating. Taking a sport from saying, you know, fudging things is okay. And NASCAR might smack your hand and say, don't bring it back to saying, hey, you can't touch this part. Period. End of story. Someone was going to be the example. We, 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 it was, it was a Roush Fenway Keselowski early in the year. Yep. You know, we had Gibbs with the big DQ. We had Michael McDowell's team. They had a major penalty as well. Uh, that's been appealed. So we don't know the out, the, you know, the outcome of that yet. It's a culture change. They're going, they were going to test NASCAR all along uh, to see if NASCAR was going to police it, if they were going to enforce it. And they found out that they would. And I don't like it. To be, I mean, I don't like going to a race, calling a race, watching a race and seeing a guy win and then find out some hours later that they didn't. Like, I, I don't like that at all. Bill France said that wasn't good for the sport. I think he's right. But I don't know how else to do it right. um, and keep the integrity of this car together. It's, it's a very difficult situation for, for everybody involved. Yeah, because, you know, to you guys' point, right? You let it, you, once it goes by once, then it's okay. Cause you know how it is in the garage. Everyone's pushing that limit constantly, which is a great thing, right? It's great that the drivers are pushing the limits of the car. It's great that the crew guys are pushing the limits of what they can do, but there is a limit. And if you let, if there's six things that you're doing on your car to get all the speed out of it, NASCAR might only find two, right? Of those six things. But you're okay. Like there's a balance there, and that's why you go through pre-tech. And that's one thing I think the fans didn't realize is pre-tech is not the same as post, right? Like we don't tech always the same things in front and back. So what, what, Mark? What's something you kind of alluded to it a little bit? But what's a one time where you knew maybe someone might have been pushing those limits a little bit further, and you might have lost out on on a win that you felt like you should have had. Uh, well, yeah, I, I mentioned the one in 1987. It was at a time when uh, it was a huge paying race. And it was at a time when I needed the purse money yep. badly. And first and second, there's a big difference. 
and the lead fell out of the said car uh, <laughs> when we left pit road. Everybody saw chunks of lead fall off the frame rail. You know, it was a planned deal. That was kind of a tough deal, but you know that you you have those kinds of things. I know we had a left side weight rule once, um, and I look at bodies really, really, really close. And I'm talking about 1981. I was still late model racing. I, I noticed uh, that a said late model, the left <laughs> rear tire was flush with the body. I knew that wasn't right. Then I walked around to the right side, and the right rear tire sucked under the car three and a half inches or so, at least three inches, between three and four inches. And so we get out on the racetrack, and I notice said car is flush on the right side tires with the body and uh, right rear tire, and the left rear sucked under that three or four inches. So, uh, you know, you had to race against things, you know, at times. But uh, the, the cool thing about that era is there were a lot of times that there were gaps in the rules and that that weren't specifically covered so you exploited that right that wasn't cheating right and you forced them to make another rule and then you know next week you'd find another place to exploit and you'd force them to make another rule to govern that the problem we have today is there is a rule for everything and that's problematic in itself because tech you know is a nightmare but you know, that is just how it has gotten through the years and 40 years of racing or whatever. Uh, you know, and so many people, so many smart people working so hard uh, on these cars, trying to figure out how to make them go faster, that really the tech side of it is really a nightmare. But there's no other way. Rodney Childers once said it. He said, you can't unlearn. We can't unlearn what we learn. Like, you, I know that if I do this, this is going to make the car better. And if you have a rule for it, I'm going to try and figure out how to continue to do that in a different way. Jeff, do you got a, you got a time where, where you got one or you felt like you got one kind of taken away from you from a mm, uh, debatable situation? Not so much, but I, I, you know, Daytona and Talladega used to be a free-for-all. Oh. I mean, it was nuts. You had no idea how fast people were going to run. I mean, there was a time that you would leave, you would leave the garage, you would go through tech and the car that left tech and went to the line was a completely different car. I mean, we were found a way to pick the roof flaps up. We found a way to get shims underneath the rear, underneath the front windshield. We found a way, I mean, just everything you could imagine. And, and I mean, it was crazy what was going on. Gary Nelson came in and he's like, okay, we're going to stop. We're going to stop this. Uh, Gary really was the guy in my eyes that, you know, came from the car side, uh, was an in very innovative, very smart guy. He came in, he says, all right, we got to make this. So at least it's manageable and at least it's fair. So when you go, when you start a race, you feel like you went, you know, you have a shot to compete against somebody that's legal. Gary really, started tightening that up. I know Mark and I worked really hard on bodies. Uh, it just was really important. And I didn't realize how important it was until I started, you know, really working with Mark. He kind of opened my eyes to how important Arrow was. We showed up in Bristol one day and they had come up with this rule. They, they were going to start measuring uh, where the spoiler was in relation to the deck lid and just out of the blue. And so I know that six car and that 99 car, they had to move our spoiler to the left a mile. And I was mad as hell. And Gary and I were going at it. And I mean, I was mad. And Gary reminded me, it took, it took in Gary's credit, because I can be pretty damn hard-headed. It took him about 10 minutes to finally get to the point where he said, you know, Jeff, this is an invitational series. If you don't want to be here, that's the gate right there. And uh, we moved our spoilers to the left and went on. But it was it was – those enforcements at the track it was like, what the hell, man? <laughs> We've been doing this for the whole year. Now we're going to change it. That, those are frustrating times. Let me ask you guys this. So the, the era of which we know called like the twisted sister bodies, how in the world were you guys getting those through tech at all? Because on track, they look like a banana. And I just don't even know how you made it through any of the, any of the requirements at all. Well, the the guys that that were in the fab shop were were crafty, and all the twisted sister got there a quarter inch at a time. 
you know, and it wound up at six inches probably, you know, but it, it, it got there, you know, a quarter inch at a time. And I remember one time in the nineties, uh, Troy Martin, uh, you know, I was in the shop and, you know, standing next to the service plate and he was hanging a body on a, on a new car. And he said, you really like the spoiler over to the right. Hmm. And that was, that was, that makes sense. Basically not only moving the spoiler to the right probably was, was a plus, but the, the biggest plus was moving the bumper over to the right and getting that right side flat because that was making side force. Mm-hmm. But he told me that I liked it. I didn't know I liked it, but <laughs> as they built cars a quarter inch at a time, moving the, the tail over to the, which I, I would not have done. And, you know, uh, my intuition would have told me to push it to the right. It would have told me to, to push, you know, the roof, I guess, to the left. Uh, that it would have told me to do, but I probably would have drugged the, the, the back of the car over as well. So that's, uh, you know, that, that's kind of an interesting plot. They got there just a little bit at a time. And then finally, it just wasn't even enough to twist them out of pieces, but we started skewing the rear ends. So they ran completely down a racetrack, like, you know, a sidewinder, uh, looked like a snake coming down the racetrack or something. So there again, you just keep going, you keep going and you keep going until they make a rule and then you have to throw everything out. And now, now it's chaos because everybody's trying to figure out how to get past that new rule that regulates (laughs) that. How do you create that side force or how do you get it over there another way? I think that's what for for the crew guys and the crew chiefs that craft for them that's got to be what would make it fun like how do you keep moving that bar Jeff the he he talked about the skew uh it, I forget which year is an all-star race Sam Hornish and Penske came with this car that literally driving down the backstretch sideways when you saw that car for the first time what were, what were your thoughts and were you like man there's no way I'll be able to drive that well, we were all working in that direction and right. this just took it, that car took it to the whole another level. And, and it was the eye opener to, to all, everybody, NASCAR included. Okay. How do we get this under control? And so NASCAR starts having to be reactive to the, to the garage as they're always going to be, because if you have a race team with all the people that you have on them today, their job is to build a better race car, to build a faster race car. And they started measuring like rear bumpers to the rear clip. Well, we would just move the rear clip. They'd measure, they would try to measure, uh, use the frame rails as a as the zero. Well, we would just move the frame rail. So we were just building cars so we could hang the body on them the way we wanted to hang the body on them. Well, now they make a rule. Now you've obsoleted that car. Like you, it just... It just went on and on and on. And although it was fun for us, the owners are just constantly writing checks, writing checks, writing checks. And the fact is, it didn't make the racing better for the race fan. It, it just didn't. Like right. it wasn't, you know, it, it wouldn't, it wasn't helping the quality of the race for the guy that was buying the ticket. And so the owner, endless amount of spending, endless amount, because if you change one thing, it changes everything. Right. So the key is if you move the nose a quarter inch and you move, you know, how far is the tail got to move with that? It just everything connects to it. And, you know, I would say that that Mark and I were on the kind of leading edge of some of that body stuff. Our cars got a lot of scrutiny, a lot of attention. Sometimes we didn't even know why we were doing it. We just knew, you know, he I, I remember yes, like it was yesterday, Mark and I getting into an argument about front downforce numbers. <laughs> and I was wanting to look at what the left front weighed versus the right front. And he was like, I don't care. I just want the most I can get. Those conversations lead you to trying different stuff. They just, that's how it works. The, those arguments, those conversations, all of that. And, and when you unleash the quality of craftsmen and the quality of smart people in this garage, crazy things happen. And so all that's awesome and it's cool. And we were building hot rods, we would have the baddest damn hot rods in the world if they were built right here in cup world uh if that's what they focused on because they're incredible craftsmen unfortunately the cost just kept going out of control right and you had to put an end to it at some point an end was going to come and nascar finally just had to you know they just had to do something different it ha- it's happened in xfinity and trucks as well 
The difference is they don't have near the money. They have not near the resources. And there've been some new tech devices built with lasers and all the stuff they got going on today uh, that kind of keeps them in control. That that composite body has helped a lot. Mm -hmm. But at the cup level, it it just got completely out of control. And, and all that stuff trickles down. It trickles down to short track racing. It trickles down to dirt racing. It don't matter. When you learn something at cup, all these guys have buddies that race other stuff, and it trickles into other stuff. And that that's where it's hard, too, because you can't that you can't control at all. Um, Mark, before we move on to Indy, I, I, we do got to touch on this. A little bit. I feel bad about touching on it, but we got to we got to talk, talk about it. So, in your second your second career Cup Series win came at Richmond, uh, February of 1990. Uh, but in post race, NASCAR found a two and a half inch carburetor spacer on your car, and they dropped the hammer with a forty thousand dollar fine and forty six points taken away. Um, and that was the second race of the season. So, at the time. I'm sure it was it sucked, but you guys, you know, you had a good season. But looking back on it, you end up losing the the championship to Earnhardt by 26. I don't even know how to ask this, but when you think about that time, what was going on at that time that had you guys even try that? Um, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm writing a book <laughs> that will that will cover that, but there's a lot to unpack there. But to start with. Um, you know, Jack Roush was a northerner and I was an outsider and NASCAR racing was still pretty territorial mm. at that time. And, and we were starting to get people's attention. We had, uh, you know, one finally broke, broke into winning in 1989 and threatened, uh, uh, for second in the points championship wound up third, but we were, we were starting to get some attention. And this was the second race of the season in 90. Um, they got ready to, uh, Robin got ready to close the hood on the car. And it was a short track car, so the hood wasn't braced up very good. He closed the hood and pushed on it, and it collapsed down to the air cleaner. Well, it was time to go. It was time to load up. So he didn't have time to build a new air cleaner that would be higher. Uh, and at that time... Uh, for a, quite a period of time, NASCAR had been allowing teams to weld to the top of the intake manifold. You could have run the carburetor through the, through the hood if it was welded on. However, an old technicality in the rule book said a two-inch max, maximum carburetor spacer. So after, you know, it went through pre-tech, it went through, you know, before the race, after qualify, you know, it went through tech all these times, but after we won the race, they say that Richard Childress come, you know, dragging them over there and pointing and said, it's right there. And Bill French Jr. didn't happen to be there, which is very rare. Uh, he wasn't able to see it with his own eyes and, and be able to bring us in the trailer and Jack be able to plead his case. Look, dude, we can we can weld it on. We could take the nuts off of it right now and weld it on, and it would have went through. So it's not a performance advantage. But we weren't able to have that conversation. We weren't able to win the, the battle. They put us uh, last place, or uh, yeah, the last on the lead lap, or the first one lap down. They right. took a lap away from us. The money, 40,000, 46 points, and all that stuff. And I figured, ah, you know, it is what it is. Um, it won't have an implication in the points championship. Sure enough, I lost the championship by 26 points. So if that had been welded on instead of bolted on, we would have won the championship by 20 points and got that one that, that got away from us. However, you know, when, when, you, when you look at it, it still has some similarities to me as the Denny Hamlin thing. You know, it's just, it's a really, really strong penalty for something that on, you know, Hamlin's case, maybe made, uh, uh, you know, a thousandth of, of a second, a lap difference mm -hmm. at most, not enough that you could visually see. I understand that NASCAR's got to keep their arms around it and I understand why they did it, but it's still, kind of a tough uh, you know denny will look back on that one 
you know, 20 to 30 years from now, like I look back on the one in, in, in 1990, I didn't think it was a big deal at the time, but it would have changed. It would have made a big difference, um, you know, had we not been penalized. Yeah, for sure. I, there was, when I started go-karting, um, we had a, what was a blue restrictor plate and you get them from the manufacturer and they're all like somewhere a little bit bigger and somewhere not. And there was a tolerance rule. Okay. Well, the guy that was working on my go-kart, he had a machine shop. Well, he found that ours was a little smaller. So he drilled it out, right? We're inside the tolerance. Well, we go through tech and this is the second year that I'm racing go-karts. So we went from finally breaking into a podium finish, right? The end of the last year to now we're starting the season off and we're, we won the first race. Hell yeah. They tech us. We could get thrown out for what the, well, the rule, it was because we drilled it and the anodize was rubbed off and we got a big zero and we were copying the cup points. So it was like a hundred, we went from 185 points, max points to zero. And at the end of the year, we ended up second. Couldn't, couldn't make up for that big goose egg, all for something that was intolerance, but it was done improperly, right? So, so Jeff, kind of talk about that part a little bit where, you know, from a technical standpoint, you can be doing everything right, and it still can be wrong, even though you're inside of the limitations. Yeah, what's so difficult about, like, Mark's situation is that there was literally no performance advantage, like literally no performance advantage. And it was a technicality that his spacer was more than two inches, but he could have welded it on. And now it's no longer a spacer. That's tough. And they've always viewed engines differently too. NASCAR has always, for whatever reason, Engine penalties have always been bigger than every other penalty. Yeah. I don't know why, but they've they've in, they've created they've enforced that in a completely different way, um, for whatever reason. Uh, in in Mark's situation, to have zero performance advantage and there be a technicality and, and that that's tough. It, it's it's now if Mark if Jack Roush would have been given the same manifold as everybody else and said, you can't touch it at all, well, then whatever happens to him, he deserved, right? If right. they said, you can't touch it at all, right. then whatever happened to him, he deserved. And That's right. That's and right. That's, that's what Denny Hamlin's team did, and that's what Kyle Busch's team did, is they were told you cannot touch it, period, for any reason. Any, it doesn't matter. You cannot touch it. And so – that's the difference and what Denny and Kyle did and, and, and what Keselowski was penalized for and potentially McDowell is you can't touch it, period. Right. And, and uh, those, I don't, to be blunt, I don't understand. It's not a complicated process to, to get in your head that NASCAR says you can't touch it and then not do it. Or I get it. If you're still trying to learn, test them and trying to see if they're really going to enforce it, I get that part. But once you get caught, <laughs> what's the defense? I mean, there's yeah. you. There, well, it doesn't matter. I didn't mean to. It. it well, this guy might have done that. And there's no defense. And and Mark could have pleaded his case. He and Jack could have pleaded his case, and maybe some common sense could have been heard. You don't even need common sense in this case. <laughs> don't touch it. That's right. Mark, did you right. did you guys appeal yours in that situation? Yes. Did you you did? Jack Jack did. And yeah. I didn't go to the appeal, but we, we didn't we, we lost the appeal. It's interesting. We kinda talked about it, you know, offset, you know, in our group text. I if you didn't appeal it, then to me you're kind of you're you're laying down like that you did it, right? If you don't at least don't appeal it, then you're admitting to okay, we what we did was wrong and we're good with it. But then kind of it's kind of this weird thing on social, like the picture was flowing around of the nose. I'm like, I'm confused. Did you guys did you are you saying you did it? Or are you saying trying to show everybody what it was so they can come up with an opinion and be like, oh no, that was fine. You know, that's not we don't have a that's not the question here. Zero comprehension of why they took that nose or a, or a nose that was similar 
and showed everybody in Indy why what they did. I, I don't. I should have taken the time to go ask. I have zero understanding of what they thought they were doing, other than saying we cheated. <laughs> I, I, it, it says you can't touch it. Like it doesn't matter what you did to it. It literally says you can't touch it. So the only thing did they did was confirm they touched it. Right. Like this isn't 2021. This isn't 1980. I can't comprehend. Like you, I understand there's some people that would say, wow, it didn't matter. Right. But they wouldn't have done it if it didn't matter. But even if it hurt it, that's not the point. Change the culture. Change. It's no longer acceptable because you can't touch the part. And I, I, it's baffling. I don't know what point they were trying to prove when they took that nose to India. I just don't understand it. Mark, what did, well, when you saw that we were talking about, what do you think? I, I mean, what was your thought on that part? Well, like Jeff says, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, well, yeah, that isn't much. <laughs> I guess that's what they were trying to show everybody is they, they didn't, hadn't done much. But Jeff says you can't touch it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they sure did touch that, you know. And, and another thing that we haven't discussed, that that is kind of weird is don't you figure the 19 you had that you know as well you know the all the gibbs cars uh i wonder if the uh uh 23 uh, 45 it makes you wonder about those cars but definitely you know the other two gibbs cars you would think you know the 20 to christopher bell um uh, you know his car as well i i, I would have to assume they were probably the same way all i'm saying is those guys were hauling the mail at pocono and it wasn't just the 11 and just the 18 it was all six of those toyotas and i'm not saying they had the same thing or not but they all have the same information and for ty gibbs to be a rookie and to go from the back to ending up i think he ended up 15th um, right there at the end of the race, that, all those cars had a lot of speed. So, whatever it was, they were all sharing something as they should because they're out of one. I don't, I don't, I'm with Mark though. I'm not, I'm not a believer that that is a very sensitive area mm-hmm. of the race car, right? No doubt. But I don't believe that that took them from no. 14th to leading. Like, I don't believe that. I think that it was clearly a help. And, or it wouldn't have been there. But again, man, this is just a new world. The people that did that aren't bad people. No. The people that made that decision are hardcore racers that are doing what they think they can do to get their drivers in the front. Doesn't mean they're bad people. That's their job. It means that they were testing NASCAR and or adjusting to a new system. It, 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 it's just that. And, and doesn't mean they're bad people. Joe Gibbs racing in a bunch of cheaters. You know what I mean? It's not McDowell, those guys, they're not a bunch of cheaters. They just, it's going to take some culture change and some enforcement to get everybody where they need to be. That's, that's what we're in the process of doing. That's all this is. And it's easy for us to say, cause we didn't get a damn win taken away from right, but, right. but, but that's what this is. It's an enforcement of new rules and new processes and people testing them. No, it's really no more complicated than that. No, when when an NFL coach has an alignment that no one's ever seen before, and they're like, "Is that okay?" or Is that they got They got to look at it and find out. It's you know, you got to push those limits. That's what you're trying to do. All right, guys, everybody on here, we the three of us, we are Tyler Reddick fans. We we all thought that once Tyler Reddick started winning races, he was going to roll off a couple. I don't think any of us thought it was going to be on road courses, though. Um, so after Indy, he is now sitting at two wins, and they're both on road courses. Mark, uh, you had a wild stretch from 1989 to 2000 at Watkins Glen. You had 12 straight top 10s, um, and 11 of those top 10s were top fives through that time period. How were you able to do that at that time and and for so long? Well, there's a lot to unpack there too. First of all, um, I I didn't break any transmissions and uh, we started out, you know, doing that with T10s, 
not not Jericho's. <laughs> and I, you know, I downshift those things, uh, you know, without the clutch. Um, but I was a truck driver. I grew up as a truck driver, so matching gears were part of it. Jack Roush had a very rich road racing history. Uh, absolutely phenomenal winning road racer before he went NASCAR racing. So Jack would ask me, and you know, another thing we didn't do is break engines. We didn't break engines. We didn't break transmissions. We kept the car running all the time. And that was all key. But one of the other main keys were Jack Roush knew he didn't push me. He knew what questions to ask. He's like, down in turn one, hey, uh, I see so-and-so is getting down deeper, you know, in into one. I can't go any deeper. Why? Because I'll wreck. Why will you wreck? And he forced me to break it on down further because I was stopping where my car was going to wreck if I went any further, and I didn't know why. So then I had to figure out that it was too much rear brake. You know, and so we figured that out. So he knew the questions to ask. He didn't bring the setups. They tried to bring setups to the car uh, from the road racing thing. And we, we, we tried that and that didn't work in a heavy, you know, stock car. But, uh, but he knew the questions to ask to make me better. And of course, growing up uh, in Arkansas on the dirt roads, uh, country roads, where uh, you always just went as fast as you could and stayed out of the ditch. You know, it was, road racing was the same thing. So I, I felt like I grew up road racing. <laughs> That's awesome. Jeff, did you know that Mark grew up uh, driving trucks? Yes, I did. Oh, okay. I, did. I, I was, I mean, that, that would make sense, though, because, you, you know, matching, matching the RPMs obviously would help, and you can translate that in. Maybe, Jeff, Jeff maybe you needed, that was where you were missing in a little bit. You needed to... I, that and about 40 other things i the i did i did lead watkins Glen once had a and well i probably led a few times so i had a real shot to win it one time gordon ran me down and passed me with just a few laps to go and it was fresh off of i had gone to watkins Glen to test with mark and he's out there just busting my ass and i don't know why i can't run you know within a second of him or whatever it was and I finally said, dude, I just need to follow you. And he was a little reluctant to do that because he didn't want to give up his stuff, right? right? I mean, it's, damn, man, you work hard for that. Yep. And so he let me, and it was kind of like um, he was, when he first took off, he didn't drive in the corner as deep as he normally would. And he could. he was mirror watching me, found out, okay, he can do that. And he just kept driving harder and harder. And I realized damn, he's way, like the rest of it, I was okay on. I wasn't breaking anywhere near like I needed to, way below the car's capacity. But I didn't know I was below the car's capacity until I had a chance without any other distractions to just go out and learn. And I followed him. And then after that, I ran really well for some races. And then whatever happened, I got screwed up again. I couldn't do it. But, but, <laughs> but there was a time where, you know, I got pretty competitive on it. It all started just in, in simply following him in a test. Mark, when you're – so at that time, like to what Jeff said, like you, you've you mastered, for the most part, a lot of this craft. And you're helping Jeff out, but you're still trying to keep a little bit – where was your gauge? Like how much did you want to give the kid and how much were you trying to like be like, I'm not going to give you all my tricks to the trade yet? Jeff made it really easy to, to give. He came with gifts first. He was the first one at the doorstep with gifts all the time. He was the best teammate that a guy could ever dream of having. Um, I had multiple teammates before Jeff, and they pretty much wanted that, you know, they wanted it to flow down to them, and, and nothing flowed back up. And Jeff came right to the doorstep with gifts and you know he earned my respect immediately uh he was the kind of guy that did things with his own hands you know he he crafted that entire 99 team the direction of it he was so immersed 
when there was something blatant, you know, like that, I might have thought, well, dang, you know, but not for long because it was Jeff Burton. And if there was anything that he could do for me, he would be the first. I wouldn't have to ask for it. He would be, he would be the first one to open it up. You know, it's hard to see teammates like that today. But with Jeff and I, I think that we were excited to be able to bring something to the table for one another. And, and Jeff opened that door uh, first. He was the first one to, you know, bring something and continue to bring something anytime he could find it. Let me tell you what, Mark. I'm going to echo that with this. I uh, So I just ran the ARCA race at IRP, right? And I wasn't thinking about it, but all my equipment is pretty old because, you know, late model racing, you don't really have to stay within this specs of your equipment. And my, my Hans was from 05, and I kind of forgot about it. And I put out a tweet saying, hey, if anyone has a, has a Hans I can borrow for this weekend, please <laughs> hit me up. And the first person to text me out of everybody that I know was Jeff Burton, and he let me borrow that Hans. Luckily, it had a couple tents in it for qualifying, so I needed that. And I appreciate you, Jeff, for that. Did you bring it back? Oh, not yet. I haven't made it back to you yet. Still got to get up there. <laughs> well, you did well in it, man. Tell us about it. Like, you you, uh, you yeah. rocked it out there. My dad came out, and um, my dad sacrificed if, if he told if he told me if my mom knew how much money that he spent on our racing career <laughs> that they would have been divorced. So I ain't gonna, I, Dad, I ain't gonna put you out that bad. But um, it was all for that one moment just to to be able to race. And ARC is not the national series, right? But it's as close as you. I mean, it's as close as a lot of people are gonna get. And um, national TV and IRP is one of my favorite races. Um, and I had a blast driving a race car again, man. And I actually wanted to ask you guys a couple of questions. This is my first one. One of the biggest things that I learned at IRP, using that new carbon seat, I will, if I use one again, I will pour myself and insert hands down. I did not do that. And there was a gap about, I don't know, two inches maybe behind my back. Qualifying, practice, didn't really think about it, right? You're in it. Come about 150 laps in, hour and some change into this race my back is killing me so i've been holding myself up my shoulders were killing me what have you guys ever had a situation where like you were just not very comfortable in your race cars and it was like very apparent absolutely 100 percent. and uh mamba and what we did in my carbon seats was put right in the in the lumbar area mm -hmm. we put a little uh airbag with a pump and I could adjust it and I could push that thing out. I always had to have that lumbar support. You will not notice it in practice, uh, you know, because you don't stay in the car long enough right. and stressed long enough. But if you have not enough, put it this way, if I have not enough lumbar support, it will, my back will kill me and give, give out in the race. The other thing with the carbon seats as well, and that was even after it was poured, right. it was still a poured thing, but I still had to add some because I had to have something pushing, pushing in the lumbar area. And that, the other thing was for me, I don't, I didn't have any body padding. I had, uh, uh, you know, really, really lean below, below 10% body fat. Right. And I couldn't sit in, in those inserts without, uh, a thin layer of padding so you know on my inserts i had to put just a you know uh, a quarter or three eighths of an inch of soft you know soft stuff you know and then they would they would cover it with the lining uh, because you know it was just it was painful for me it was too hard Jeff, the so AJ Almendinger helped me out with this ARCA car, and he came over to the track when he got done with you know his job, and he was up on the he had his uh, the radio on, and we were BSing a little bit. It was super fun, and I asked him because I'm getting hot, man. I am getting hot in this thing, and I'm like AJ, you you wear a cool suit, right? He goes, man, you don't need a cool suit. I'm old. I need it. Well. Golly, I felt so bad for him on Sunday, man. His cool suit did not work from lap one and made it all the way through. Before, we didn't have cool. You all didn't have cool suits. Was that an issue for you, heat in those cars? Well, we had an evolution of cool suits. There was okay. a time that, that um, uh, I messed with one when I was at RCR uh, that uh, was a, came from helicopters 
like in, in the Iraq war, uh, the technology came and, and, uh, I messed with that some really for me though, what I really liked was, uh, and some drivers are complete opposite. I just wanted the cool air to my helmet. Like if I got, if I kept my head cool, I was, I was good. Listen, man, these things are hot as hell. And, and until, until somebody experiences themselves, they can't understand it. And crew chiefs or crew members that aren't willing to put the time in to, to uh, get that stuff like it needs to be don't recognize how important it is. It's not a comfort thing. It's a performance thing, Yep. period. And they'll do everything they can to get the motor at the right temperature. They'll do everything they can to keep the keep that thing cool. at the right temperature, yep. brakes at the right temperature. What about the driver? Like he's more important than all that stuff. And you better keep him the right temperature too. And drivers have different tolerances for that. Um, I mean, I know drivers that would drive without I – mean, I wouldn't go to a test without a head a head blower. I mean, I, if I showed up at a test and, I mean, I got to a point in my career, early in my career, I would – I'd have driven, you know, with a plastic bag blowing heat in it and, right. and been happy to do it. But later in my career, I, I, if I, like my guys knew, like, we're not going to test if we don't have the, the, uh, the head cooler in the car. I, I just wasn't going to do it. And, and because my tolerance, it just made me better. I just, I did not, I didn't enjoy it with that, that hot air and it just made, it made me perform better. This was uh, probably one of the best experiences of my life um, racing at this level. Um, and all the short track experience that I got, you know, qualifying for the snowflake, the Myrtle Beach 400, this was so much easier. Um, just the competition, like the difference in competition and everything, even though I'm coming off the couch, it was, it may for everyone back home in Randolph, Vermont, it was awesome for them to be able to be a part of that. And, um, so I just want to ask you guys to, when you made your first starts at a level, whichever level it was that you felt you're like, Wow. Like this was everything I was trying to get to. I finally made it here. What was that like for you? And, and where was that like? Where was that race for each of you guys? Well, first of all, Mamba, I just want to say that we are very proud of you. Thanks, We're man. really glad that you had such a great outing there at IRP, and that that was uh, really cool to see. And uh, so, yeah, uh, just want to say that first of all. Appreciate it. Um, before I move on and talk about, uh, you know my first big event i want to just say that i've got a little bit of story about the cooling thing myself yes sir they actually did have cool suits even back in the in the in it like 80s in 1989 i tried one at, at the first dover race and basically what it was was a rubber vest rubber with ice water that would circulate through it and you'd pull a cooler in the car, ice, you know, and circulate. Well, it failed. And it's, you know, five, it was a four and a half hour race, you know, 500 laps at Dover and it failed. And I gritted it out and, uh, you know, had a, had a fantastic finish. Uh, but it was brutal. Ugh. It was something I said, I would never do it again. So we go back for the second race of the year. And I try it again and 30 laps in, it fails again. Oh, and I'm man. telling you that rubber, that is way hotter. And this is back in open face helmets. So we didn't even have cool air to our face. So on, I pulled, pulled, uh, like Earnhardt at Richmond when he unbelted himself and leaned out of the car and cleaned his own windshield. Yep. I unbelted myself took my uniform down during a caution on the racetrack, holding the steering wheel of my knee and pulled that SOB <laughs> off. There was no way I was going to cook in that son of a gun for four more hours. So that's a little story that, that uh, I'll have to cover in depth sometime, yeah. some other time as well. But my first start uh, big time was the Xfinity race at Daytona in 1981. And for me, it was, I was very intimidated by that racetrack. It was the only racetrack that I ever went to that I just couldn't get grips around. It was so big, so banked, and so fast that it totally blew over my head what I was, what I was doing. I just felt inadequate the whole time there. It was so uh, It was not a good experience for having my first one. Now, that year, I made many other starts and 
uh, one art, my one and only ARCA start at Talladega was great. I sat on the outside pole and won that race. But, uh, but for some reason, Daytona was, was much more of a challenge. And I went back actually the next year for the cup race and also felt inadequate there. I guess I was inadequate because I raced there about 30 or 40, about 40 times and never, never won a cup race. So <laughs> I must've been at a, inadequate for sure. Oh man. What about, what about you, Jeff? What was your, like, uh, we're here moment. I think it was my first Xfinity race. I, you know, I could be off by a race or two, uh, but I think it was my first one, you know, back uh, when Mark and I raced uh, the Xfinity series was then the Bush series and you would race at Hickory, South Boston, Orange County, Louisville, yep. uh, you know, short tracks around the country. Well, I was, I'd raced at Orange County and South Boston all the time. And we built a, an Xfinity car and, um, got to race against Jack Ingram and Tommy Ellis and Tommy Houston. And I mean, you know, LD Ottinger and all those guys, I was going to whip their ass. Right. Cause they're on my track. Yep. That, that's what I thought. <laughs> yep. And, and, uh, you know, there were no testing rules. There were, you just, you know, we, hell, we went over there on Friday, the day before the race and practiced and we're fast, but we didn't recognize that, or I didn't recognize you know, it was just my late model guys and me doing it that those cars needed to drive different. And I qualified pretty well. I don't remember where, but it was pretty, pretty good. But about lap 30, man, I had burnt the rear tires off this thing. <laughs> and they lapped my ass at least a couple of times the way I remember it on my home track. And I learned right then in practice, I thought I was so good. Like it drove things drove so good. And I messed up qualifying should have been better. I go in this race thinking we're going to win this thing. And whew, I had not done all the right things to set up and everything else and didn't recognize it. And, you know, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And that was the, that was kind of the slap in the face that, okay, you ain't late, right? You ain't late model racing anymore. Uh, you better find a way to do it. Better find a way to do it different. And, um, and I was, it was, it was at my track, my home track. And it was just a, it was a big eye opener. It was cool as hell. Cause I never thought I'd make it to the cup level. I never even right. dreamed it. Never even dreamed it. I, I wanted to be, if I could be a full-time Bush Grand National driver, that was the tip of the, the, the spear for me. Yep. And uh, if I could have ever done that, that, I was happy with that. I was never thinking about going, going cup racing. It wasn't even in my head. That's awesome. And, Mark, let's be, let's be honest here. No way you can be a Hall of Famer and inadequate at the same time. Those, that word in Mark Martin does not – compute so but everybody thank you so much um guys i appreciate the love thank you for your support on that race and just real quick i want to i want to thank uh young's motorsports and tyler young for putting together a great car uh mark mamba and the mayor podcast was on the hood elliot's was on the lower quarter with the tony elliott foundation and maestro's classics i know jeff i know you don't really grow a beard out much but mark if you ever need some beard butter i got you big dog so uh guys once again, thank you for another great episode of Mark Mamba in the Mayor Podcast.